Praise God. We are in a series of messages called Altered, a biblical history, and this is message number three. All right, message number three. Okay, we misspelled the word altered, right? We, we did it on purpose. Altered. How do you like the altars that Jack built us? They're nice. They're simple. I like them. They, they serve a purpose. They're going to work for us as soon as we can start using them. That's why I want to hang on to God. I want to get us past this stage we're in, amen, so we're, we can, you know, get together at the altar and pray and not have to worry about social distancing. How many of you know we need a miracle for that? How many of you know that God's in the miracle working business, amen? God will do this and fix this without breaking a sweat. Can you say amen? All right, altar, a biblical history, message three. Turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. This is going to be our diving board scripture for the day. Genesis chapter 22, go to verse 6, and I'm going to pray one more time before we read the word. Genesis 22, verse 6 through 9 in the English Standard Version. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you for your word. Father, if we give voice to your word this morning, let it work on us, Father. With everything that it has at its disposal, may the power of your word work on us today, Father. May we not leave here today without being touched by the power and presence of your spirit, without peace rising up on the inside of us, without us taking the help of the Holy Ghost and holding on tight to your word that you will restore what the locusts have eaten. I want to thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Genesis chapter 22 beginning with verse 6, and we're going to read verse 6 through 9. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am. Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering. That's a very astute observation on Isaac's part. When you say amen? Verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And we're going to stop right there. The rest of that story is a whole nother uh, in-depth message, but it's dynamic. Amen? I want to share a few things with you by the way of an introduction. Listen to these words. They were built from stones, blocks, and wood. Sometimes they piled the material together roughly. Sometimes they measured carefully and, and laid everything out in precision. Sometimes they were left in a raw state. Sometimes they covered them with bronze and silver or even gold. 2,500 years ago, they were built out in the open air in valleys, beside riverbeds, and on mountaintops. Today, some of them uh, are elaborate works of art or architecture crafted to be center showpieces in ornate cathedrals. I'm talking about altars. Many Christians have a mental image of an altar as a place where mysterious religious rituals take place. Communion wine and wafers are served there. Prayers are lifted at the altar. Sometimes it seems far above and beyond the reach of a common layperson to understand all that can take place at the altar. Others of us know that the altar is a place where our relationship with God achieves its reality. 
The altar is where many have knelt to find the Lord. The altar is where many have found repentance and forgiveness. The altar is where many have received spiritual blessings. The altar is where many have consecrated themselves to God. The altar is where godly vision is made clear. The altar is where souls are galvanized into action. The altar is where the best things in life happen. Amen? Every Bible patriarch built an altar. Noah, having been spared along with his wife, his three sons, and their wives from the global devastation of the flood, the flood that wiped out all the known civilization of the world, they emerged from the ark. What was the first thing that Noah did? He built an altar. Amen? From that humble construction, he blessed the God who saved him from the fate of the world. Amen? By the same token, listen to this. I highlighted this in my notes because it just, it gripped me so. Pay attention to this name. By the same token, you should note that Abraham's nephew Lot, think of the name Lot, what comes to mind? By the same token, you should note that Abraham's nephew Lot never built an altar. He chose the well-watered plains of Jordan to dwell in and simply took his family, took his family there with no recognition that God was his provider. In fact, there was never an altar associated with the name of Lot in the entire Bible. And, and we don't have time to go through the details, but if it wasn't for Abraham, Lot's life would have been lost. Amen? Elijah, the flamboyant prophet who was the scourge of King Ahab, put the power of the Lord on display upon the altar. After he goaded the false prophets of Baal into calling upon their God, a vast exercise in futility, Elijah commanded the servant to build an altar. They piled stones one upon another. They poured 12 barrels of water on the sacrifice. At the simple prayer of Elijah, the true God of heaven visited the altar by sending fire upon the sacrifice. The altar of Elijah became the simple the symbol of God's power in that day. I mean, that's a powerful story. We're going to revisit that in, in a little bit. We, we got to come back to that. First point of this message, and there's only two today. Only two points to the message today. How do you build an altar? How do you build an altar? Well, there's a very revealing passage found in Exodus chapter 20. Take a moment. Turn to Exodus chapter 20, verse 22. Exodus chapter 20. Verse 22. Exodus chapter 20, verse 22 through 26. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold, an altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it 
of hewn stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to the altar, to my altar, that your nakedness be uh, not exposed on it. Now, this is an important passage of scripture. I, I really didn't, I really didn't think about what all that meant until you know later in life. And I'm going to share some things with you about it. The altars of pagan nations were elaborate, ostentatious works of art. They didn't speak of humility; they spoke of pride. They didn't bring glory to God. Instead, they glorified man. In fact, tribes, cities, and even nations competed to see who could build the most grandiose altars and temples. Then many heathen nations and had, uh, then at that time, many heathen nations had temple prostitutes. Listen carefully. And they went through ceremonies. They exalted the flesh rather than honoring the holiness of God. And God didn't want anything uh, having to do with flesh at the altar. Does that make sense? All right. So, then many heathen nations had temple prostitutes and they went through ceremonies that exalted the flesh rather than honoring the holiness of God. This is not what God wanted. He said, build my altar out of earth. If you do make it out of stone, don't carve it chisel it or shape it into something beautiful. Why? Because how I many of you know, I mean, in Israel, there were lots of people that could carve anything out of stone. They could carve anything out of wood. They could, they could show off their talents and their gifts and, and their pride in the artwork, the ornate artwork, and God didn't want anything to do with that. Don't make it about the beautiful altar that you can build with your hands. Make it about the sacrifice you are willing to give to God. Today, altars are usually housed in temples. Um, there are beautiful cathedrals in the world. I listed about a half a dozen of them. Notre Dame in Paris, St. Paul's Basilica, and the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican City, St. Paul's Cathedral in London. The cathedral in Strasbourg, France, is the most elaborate structure, but today, not much worship goes on in most of these places. They attract tourists who are interested in Gothic architecture and a storied past. The Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen? Do not buy into the popular view that your temple must reflect the world's idea of beauty or fashion. The Bible says to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, not the beauty of Hollywood. Amen? The more you try to make yourself pleasing to the world, the less you make yourself pleasing to God. I want to say it again. The more you try to make yourself pleasing to the world, the less you make yourself pleasing to God. Do you know what God loves? He loves the simple, spontaneous, free-flowing worship that comes out of our hearts. He's not looking for pomp and ceremony. He's looking for genuine commitment to him. Amen? Point number two, what is the purpose of the altar? One of the things that the Bible stresses about the patriarchs of the Old Testament that built altars to sacrifice animals on, an altar was built as a memorial. The builder can go back and offer another sacrifice at the altar and thereby relive the great event that 
It was built to commemorate. When the priests of Israel built the altar in honor of their crossing, miraculously over into Canaan, they were telling generations, present and future, something great happened here. Never, ever forget what happened to us as a people and a nation in this place. That's what's going wrong in America today. We have forgotten our origins. Were all of them perfect? No, but the ones pertaining to God were and are. Can you say amen? So Jacob had a powerful dream about a ladder ascending from earth to heaven as he was on the road to flee from his brother Esau. And on this ladder, he saw angels going up and down. He awakened and built an altar to the Lord saying, surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. He built the altar out of one stone, the same one he used as a pillow when he uh, saw his dream. An altar is built as a symbol of a place of sacrifice. I hope that this word registers in your heart today. Sacrifice. How many of you know that my salvation costs something? It costs something. Amen? Amen. This does not mean that, you know, and, and not, listen to me. There was a price that was paid by Jesus, and there's a price that's paid by me. Commitment costs, and, and it costs you. Commitment costs. It costs something. It doesn't mean that you're saved by works, but it does mean that you must forsake all of your own intentions. Amen? Your own will, your own preferences to embrace the gospel. That costs you something. It's not, about, it's not about working. No, no, the works, it, it's all about grace. But there is still a cost extracted in your life by the world when you make a commitment to God. Jesus said, if they mistreated me, how much, what makes you think they're not going to mistreat you? If they exacted a price from Christ by hanging him on the cross, what makes us think we're above? persecution. We're not. Turning your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24. 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24. 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24 in the English Standard Version says, but the king said to Arana, no, but I will buy it. Who was, who was the king? It was David, right? But the king said to Arana, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. King David had been offered free of charge a place to sacrifice to the Lord. But listen carefully. No one will be greatly used of God until they have built an offer, an altar. If you want the approval and blessing of God in your life, you must sacrifice those things that have been that have great meaning to your flesh, to your ego, your pleasure, and your power in this world. Your power, not God's power, your power. The altar is where you establish an entirely new set of priorities for your life. This church is looking toward the future. Amen? We anticipate a great move of God. 
We are expecting great things from God. You will hear me talk about this and talk about this and talk about this until it's ingrained in your life because I love you. And I am a determined pastor. And I want to get across to you the message that Jesus Christ by his spirit is laying in my heart. You cannot overfocus on what's going on in this world today. It'll crack you. Crack you open like an egg. Pour you out. Do not overfocus on what is going on in the world around you. Hang on to your faith. Amen. And you do that at an altar. We're expecting great things from God. But God is not interested in blessing anything that brings glory to us. It's all about the glory. It's not something we're supposed to touch or play with or pursue. Only the glory of God manifests in our lives because it brings more glory to him. Amen? But before we receive anything from him, we've got to build not just an altar, but altars in our lives. You know, Jack has built us some altars uh, here in the church, and we're, we're going to put them to use as soon as we can. We've got to, you know, let God finish fixing this thing that's broken in the world. Amen? And he's got to rebuild a confidence in us that we can be together the way he created us to be together. Amen? The altar we build must not be the usual hand clapping, standing, raising hands, and saying memorized words to God. If we build altars in our life, it could be by your bedside. It could be in a closet. It could be in your living room. It could be at your dining room table. In those places, there should be altars in your home. Amen? And then altars in your church. You, you know, you can even go mobile with it. How many of you know that I can drive a car and pray and worship God at the same time? I'm just that much of a multitasker. Amen? You know what I'm saying? The things that God has given me in my life that I use and do, I can create an altar. I can talk to God. That's why I love. I said this last week, but it bears repeating. I like doing yard work. I can run a lawnmower in a straight line and worship God both at the same time. You know what I'm saying? It, doesn't, it isn't a spiritual drain on me to mow the grass or rake something up or move some dirt somewhere. And the whole time, I'm just talking to God. I'm worshiping God. It's, it's going, you know what I'm saying? Why? Because God told me, build altars in your life. Talk to me. Talk to me. Be with me. God wants to hear my voice, and I want to hear his. Amen? So the altar we build must not be the usual hand clapping, standing, raising hands, and saying memorized words to God. God's looking for some meaningful sacrifices. Bring your goals. Bring your dreams, your desires to the altar. We talked about that before, but it bears repeating. Remember, God never demands something from you without giving something back to you of greater value. Wow. The gifts of God outweigh my gifts or anything I can bring to the relationship. Amen? Remember, God never demands something from you without giving something back to you of greater value. Give him your life, and he will give you back a life much better. Give him your dreams, and he'll replace it with a dream that far exceeds your own imagination. And that, that's pretty huge. I got a wild imagination. Amen? Give him your desires, and he'll create in you a new heart, a heart that desires righteousness, holiness, and peace. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You take someone that's got, you know, the world's really ingrained in them, but they get saved, and then they're in these battles. 
I'm the only one that knows anything about that, right? In these battles, no, go to God. Only God can help you replace those things of the world with his things. Amen? In the Old Testament, the priests sent up sweet incense to the Lord from the altars. In the New Testament, this corresponds to our praise and our worship that we express to God and the good things we do even for other people in the name of Jesus. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 14 and 15 in the English Standard Version. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Praise must flow heavenward from our hearts. The altar is where I worship God. Church attendance, maintaining a holy lifestyle, a commitment to truth. The altar represents the way I worship the Lord. Jesus told us emphatically that in John chapter 4, John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, it's written in red. John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, letters in red. But the hour is coming and, it, and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Today, we build an altar to the Lord by becoming living, walking, and talking memorial to him by sacrificing ourselves for him, by turning our lives into a continual offering to him. Something happens when you build an altar. When you take the elements of your life, your body, your soul, and spirit, your mind, and your strength, and build an altar to God, you testify to all who see you. This is what the apostle Paul did. Turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Let's see what Paul had to say. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Not only that, but you yourself, your body, your mind, and soul become a witness to the world of the power of God. Acts chapter 1, just flip. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Roman. Back one. Right? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And here, here's what it's really all about. Letters in red, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So really, what's it all about? It's about more people getting saved. Amen? You know, if you really get a hold of what my grandmothers used to call the horns of the altar, get a hold of the horns of the altar, you know? God will change you, and others will see it. Others will know it. Amen? It's about a deeply personal relationship with God at the altar. Wow. Let me take you back to the altar of Elijah and, and clarify something for you. 
He placed the sacrifice on the altar. He poured water on the sacrifice, and he prayed, right? Do you realize that that was the full extent of his humility and power? Give some instructions, pray. That was it, right? That was the extent of his human ability and power. It was up to God to send the fire, but it was up to him to do what he could do which was to reach out to God. Amen? It was God that sent the fire. That ought to sound familiar to Pentecostal Christians. Amen? It ought to sound familiar to Pentecostal Christians. You know this verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. So something else happens at the altar. This is a place where you honor and you glorify God. You worship God literally with your tongue. Amen? You worship him with physical motions. Amen? We raise our hands to God in heaven. I told you about the first Pentecostal service I ever went into. I told my mother, Mom, I'm not going back. She says, why? I said, they're rude. I said, a man raised his hand. I guess he had a question. No one recognized him, so he raised the other hand. <laughs> Still, nobody recognized him, and he never got his question asked, and he never got his question answered. How many of you know he did get his question asked and answered? Amen? I'm just telling you what I was going through, right? I looked around. I said, this is weird. This is weird. Pentecostals are weird, right? Little did I know a few years later I'd be a Pentecostal-ordained minister, you know? I mean, God works in strange and mysterious ways, amen? I worship God with my tithes and offerings, amen? This is all I'm going to say about You know I don't like to talk about money, but the truth has to be told, right? Listen to me. What do we say? This is... The devil don't want you to hear that. All right, I'm green again. Am I up? All right, am I there? It, I don't know. If it wasn't green, I don't know what it was like way back here. I can't see there, all right? So I got a wallet, right? Let's just say this about money and then and, and tuck it away and move forward. If God has your finances, he has you. What, what do we call our job? We call our job? our livelihood. Why do we call it our livelihood? Because without one, it's real hard to have a life in this world, isn't it? So if God has my finances, he has my life. Can you say amen? If he owns my money, he owns me. And he can have every dime I got if that's what he wants. Amen? Okay. So I worship him through my tithes and offerings. I worship him by my, just all of my, the, the confluence of all of my commitments to God about every area of my life, right? I worship him by living a holy and consecrated life. All these things are not incidentals. They're primaries. Amen? They're not meaningless. Uh, they're not rituals. They're real life components of my sincere worship to God. My Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, lastly, it is at the altar that God makes 
Listen to this. I got to read this slowly for you. Let this sink in. God help us all. Lastly, it is at the altar that God makes covenants. God makes covenants with his people at altars. Isn't that powerful? How, so, Brother Dennis, how do you, what do you mean? How do you know? At the altar, God made a covenant with Noah. At the altar, he preserved Isaac for Abraham. He blessed Jacob and revived him at the altar. He sent fire on Elijah's altar. He required the families of Israel to meet him at the altar with sin offerings. And when they did, he kept his covenant to forgive their sins. Amen. Well, you know what? You look around the room. I mean, what's 22, 23, 24, 25? I don't know how many people are here. But do you realize that when a couple of dozen people, just about everything in the world is represented in the room. Just about everything you can think of. I remember one time um, I had the privilege of speaking to 3,500 people or so um, at an auditorium in the city where I grew up, you know. And I, someone, when I got to Bible college later, I'm asked by a professor, how many of you preached before from a, a pulpit? I said, me. What's the largest crowd you ever addressed? I said, about 3,500 people. He said, well, that's pretty good. Not, not really. I think Pentecost blew that away. Amen. But um, I, I didn't have much to say really that day. I was a guest of another preacher. But the point I'm trying to make is that professor was a psychology professor. He said, do you understand that with 3,500 people in that room, everything you can dream of about mankind was, was dressed in there, was, it was represented in that room, all good, bad, and ugly, all of it. You know, I don't like to dwell on that. <laughs> all right? So in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, this is our, uh, this is our, one, our most powerful passage of Scripture that we're going to share today. 2 Chronicles 7 and 14, and all of us are familiar with it. We're painfully familiar with it. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, in the English Standard Version says, if my people, doesn't say if the bad guys, if the unsaved, if the people that aren't members of your church, it says, if my people who are called by my name, hmm, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The thing that generally makes me reach for the bounty paper towels because it makes me cry. Uh, and if I overdwell on it, I'll do it again. Uh, but I've got to dwell on enough to get this point across to you. The condition our country is in today it's not in that condition because of the unsaved. This, the condition of this country today is not the fault of the unsaved. It's the fault of God's people falling short in the word of God and obedience to God. It's not the unsaved's fault. The unsaved just doing what comes natural. That's all. And if you think things are out of control right now, look to the church. Look to God, talk to God about it, look to the church. Because the unsaved are just doing what the unsaved does. But when the children of God stop doing what God wants them to do, that's generally when judgment falls. 
All you got to do is look at the children of Israel. Look, look, I'm not doing a series on the altar for my health. I'm not doing it to make you feel good. I'm not doing it to make me feel good. I'm going there because God told me, go there. That's where the healing is. That's where the change is. That's where the revival is. And it's got to, it's just like Jack Hayford was on a, on a program one day. And I don't know if you know the guy, but what a precious spirited man. Wrote many of the, of the um, courses that we sang for 20 years, uh, about 20 years ago. And this uh, guy interviewing him said, Pastor Jack, I, I just need to ask you, uh, is the church ready for revival? He said, I can't answer that. I can't answer it. He said, that's not the question you should ask me. The question you should ask me is, am I ready for revival? Because that is the question that every child of God's got to ask and answer for themselves. And if the answer is, I don't know, then you need to build an altar somewhere and go talk to God about it. Then you're going to know. Amen? Look, look, please, please, look. We've got another great revival in this world coming to us if we just obey God. If we just obey the word. Amen? And, and look, look, we still have this great potential lying before our very eyes right at our fingertips to see millions of people in this world come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. If we just do, I'm not hitting missing here. I'm not stuttering. I'm not holding back. God's talking to me and he's telling me, give it away. Uh, and if you think I sound harsh to you, wait till you hear it from God himself at an altar. That's where, I, that's where I'm hearing it from. Is that an altar? It's very personal. You know, um, learned a long time ago, I don't like being taken out behind the woodshed by God. But guess what? There's an altar back there too. And if you've ever been taken out behind the woodshed by God, you know it. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to ask. You know. And if you're honest about it and can talk about it, it's a dynamic testimony. God loved you enough to speak that personally to you and to take you out behind the woodshed and deal with you? God help us all. That's why we've got to. See, the devil is just wringing his hands. He's clapping. He's happy right now because he's gotten away so far with introducing something to the world that keeps us separated. Am I right or wrong? God's still on the throne. God is still a good God. God still loves us. And I'm telling you, 2 Chronicles 7.14 is the answer to this country's problems. If the unsaved cannot tell a difference by looking at the church, you ain't got nothing they want. We don't have anything they want. You know? God will do the same things for you if you build an altar. It must be an altar of sacrifice, an altar of worship, and an altar of thanksgiving. All right, listen to this. I highlighted this. You can have these notes. Just go to our website and get them. Do not demand great things from God unless you are prepared to sacrifice great things for God. Do not demand great things from God unless you are prepared to sacrifice great things for God. The fire does not fall on a barren altar or a selfish life, 
or the pursuit of personal pleasure or a monument built to your own greatness. The fire falls on the sacrifice. There's no one more, or there's no uh, more fact about the altar of Elijah, or there's one more fact about the altar of Elijah that I want to share with you today. His altar was not new. Elijah's altar wasn't new. It had been there before, but the false prophets of Baal, along with the neglect of the people of Israel, had broken it down. 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 29 through 30. 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 29 through 30. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. If you've never built an altar for God in your life, you need to build it now. If you once had an altar, but you allowed it to be broken down, now is the time for you to repair it. If all you have are the remnants of the past consecrated life, if you're trying to survive on memories of your experience with God, you need to repair your altar. He's not asking for you to do anything elaborate. Just bring yourself, your earth and stones, and start to rebuild that which you once had. It will be good to feel the fire once again. A man named Ray Bolts wrote a poem called The Altar, and I just pray that God will help me to share it with you. The service is nearing an end. The choir is singing just as I am. And now as the old song is played, people at the altar are kneeling down to pray. Some are finding mercy, forgiveness for their sins. Some are fighting battles and they're struggling to win. The time has come to give them to the Lord. That's what the altar is for. That's what the altar is for. You don't have to carry those burdens anymore. There's a light in the darkness. There's a love that's true. And Jesus is waiting. He's waiting here for you. Go quickly now before they close the door. That's what the altar is for. A father is praying with his son. A mother kneels beside them, thanking God they've come. An old man is standing there in tears, giving up a part of him that he's held back for years. Hearts are being broken, lives are being changed, and those who call upon him will never be the same. The time has come to give in to the Lord. That's what this altar is for. Go quickly now before they close the door. And you can give your burdens to the Lord. That's what the altar is for. The reason why my heart is broken today is because we've forgotten everything that's in that poem. 
maybe you were raised in a church where they didn't have altars and they didn't reach out to God like that, but I was raised in a church like that. And when I really got saved, I was in a church like that. And given an altar call, I mean, there was going to be a lot of people in the church that had come down to the altar and prayed because they knew clearly that there were things about their lives that they needed God's help with. We don't know anymore. How many of you know you don't know what you don't know until you run up against it? Do you understand what I'm saying? I try sometimes, I mean, I sit and I think and I pray about things where they are and I, I think to myself, this is upsetting, this is upsetting, this is upsetting. Isn't this world upsetting, right? But it come right back around to God still on the throne. God knows what he's doing. You can trust God. You got to give it over to him. Go to the altar. Talk to the Father. Don't let the devil eat up your peace. It is a terrible sign in your life if you allow the devil to come and take your peace from you. He wants your peace so that he can damage your faith. He wants your faith because he knows that's what draws you close to God is your faith. Don't let him have it. Now, listen to me carefully. I despise what I'm about to say to you. I despise it. It's okay to have a righteous despising going on, right? I'm angry with the devil. I'm angry with him. Because we're at a point where, you know, notice that they're not coated in gold. They're not, you know, not elaborately carved. Just some wood that Jack's put together for us. We talked about it. We, we went over it several times. And here's what we got. And I love the simplicity of these altars. And I'm looking forward to the day where the devil's defeat is so sound and it's so powerful that we don't have to fear being close together anymore. We are Christians and our goal should be to get back to that place. Is today that day? Nope. 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 Today's not that day, but soon. But hear these words before I pray for you and we dismiss this service. Just because we can't come to this altar today doesn't mean you don't need to go to your altar, whether it's by your bedside or whether it's at your dining room table or what. Look, it takes some commitment. We can say, you know, I'm excited. You know, I, it, isn't it amazing? I, um, I was just um, in my early 20s, I was laying grass sod with a guy on the grass sod company. I was in Bible college and one of my summer jobs laying down grass sod. And he was a Christian, attended the college I attended, Southeastern. And uh, we were talking about, man, you know, I've, I've been married for, you know, six months, a year, whatever it was. And I started gaining weight. Anybody ever been there? You got married and you started gaining weight, right? He said, well, um, what are you doing? I said, well, I went on a diet, you know. He said, let me ask you a question. What did you eat last night? And I told him. He said, you know, it's easy to go on a diet after you left the drive-thru at McDonald's and you ate two quarter pounders with cheese. Now, you understand what I'm saying? When I, what I'm about to tell you is this. If you decide I'm going to set myself down or I'm going to kneel down and I'm going to read some of the Word of God, I'm going to pray over it, I'm going to talk to God about it, I'm going to give some of the things over to God the pastor's talking about, and I'm going to... And you know what you have to do? You have to be blatantly, say it to God. He already knows it. 
talk to God about the good, the bad, and the ugly. I like those three phrases. You think he doesn't know about the ugly in your life? Talk to him about it. It's the only way the ugly is going to change. God is the only way that can take ugly and make it beautiful. He's it. He's the only one. Amen? You can't grit your teeth hard enough and set your jaw hard enough and make up your mind hard enough. No, let God work on it for you. Amen? But you say, I'm going to set some time aside every day. I'm going to pray. I'm going to reach out to God. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to read his word. And, and you're excited. You're about to go on a diet, right? It's real exciting in here to make that commitment. But when you get home and you're by yourself and the schedule sets in. So what God tell me? Sacrifice your schedule. Lay your schedule on the altar. Amen? Let God do his thing, right? I'm going to tell you what the future is going to look like, and I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to let you go, all right? <clears throat> We want to reach a time, because I'm going to tell you, we were given altar calls in this church, weren't we? Haven't we? In the last year? And, and you looked at me like a cow studying a new gate. What's he talking about? What does he mean, an altar call? Why? Because you know, I'm not mad at you. you just never been taught. You've never been exposed. You never know. And I'm going to tell you, the front row of chairs, these altars, these steps, there's plenty of room up here for you to get with God and talk to him at the end of a service. Say, so, well, Brother Dennis, you said I could do it at my dining room table or at my, my bedside or in a closet where you can do all of those things in all of those places. But guess what? You know what? Sometimes it's good for you to take a stand in a church service no matter what people think of you. No matter what they think, oh, oh so-and-so's down at the altar. Things must be bad. Well, the person at the altar may just wanted to take some time to make a public profession of faith statement to God. I'm going down there. I'm going to worship God. I can't think of anything that's going wrong, so I'm just going to take some time to worship him and praise him and thank him because things aren't going wrong. And, and blast anything anybody thinks about it, right? That's where we're heading. That's the goal of this pastor's heart, that we reach a place where we break through the crust and get down to the truth of what going to an altar really means, even in a church service. Amen? All right, so now, once again, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm not sorry. I cry like a baby. You, it gets much worse when I'm alone. I mean much worse when I'm alone as far as crying. Things, I, I am so grateful that at my age, God's opinion, his presence, what he thinks, what he wants, crushes through to me. It cracks through the shell. It breaks through. Amen? Stand with me and let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you for the altars that you want us to build in our lives, whether it be an altar in this church service or whether it be an altar in our dining room or an altar in our bedroom or even an altar in our offices or an altar wherever, in our closet. None of that matters. Uh, help us to understand, Father, that we can reach out to you and worship you even when we're driving down the road with our eyes wide open, our hands, both hands on the wheel, seatbelt buckled. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for the penetrating power of your word that's penetrating our lives today. I, I sensed it, Father. You cut through a lot of stuff today. And I, want, I want to thank you for that. I'm humbled by that. Father, don't let anyone leave this room today 
without touching them and helping them to understand that you're dealing with me about these same areas, these same arenas, these same thoughts, these same cares, these same concerns, and that we're pursuing the same peace that passes all understanding together in the name of Jesus. Father, once again, forgive us of all of our sins and all of our shortcomings. Change us, Father, by the power of your Spirit. Help us to be pace setters in the city of Anchorage for your revival. All of the churches that lift up the name of Jesus, Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to turn to you, seek you for your help, your guidance, your direction, your deliverance, Father, for your glory. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for watching over us as we depart from this place. Continue to help us, lead us, guide us, and direct us in all that we say and do, that we would give glory and honor and praise to you. We give the future of the church to you, Lord. Thank you for your call on our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Fellowship together before you leave this place today.